I struggle when I consider that this family was chosen by God, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, to bring forth a great nation. And I struggle to understand how he chose someone so flawed. And then, as C.S. Lewis once put it, then I look at my own life and I struggle to see why he loved me. I'm going to begin by sharing with you a portion of one of, uh, one of my favorite poems by Robert Frost, The Road Not Taken. He said, Two roads diverged in a yellow wood, and sorry I could not travel both, and be one traveler long I stood and looked down one as far as I could to where it bent in the undergrowth. Then took the other as just as fair, and having perhaps the better claim, because it was grassy and wanted wear. Though as for that, the passing there had warned them really about the same. And both that morning equally lay, in leaves no step had trodden black. Oh, I kept the first for another day, yet knowing how way leads on to way. I doubted if I should ever come back. I shall be telling this with a sigh somewhere ages and ages hence two roads diverged in a wood. And I, I took the one less traveled. And that has made all the difference. I've been thinking for the last number of weeks and struggling in my mind over the idea of the road less traveled because truly that is where God calls us so many times. Back in college at Mercer University in Atlanta many, many years ago, we had the privilege of having a man come and speak who had just released his second book to publication. His name was M. Scott Peck, a psychiatrist, a brilliant man, a godly man, grew up in a Quaker home, but he took as the title of his first book, The Road Less Traveled. And I understood the, the meaning of that, for that idiom was taken from the poem I just read. And the phrase, The Road Less Traveled, means a choice that's made that's unconventional. It's different, one that leads you in a different direction, but one that makes the difference in your destiny. And I think about that when I consider the life of these twin boys, Isaac and Jacob, and what happened, I mean, Jacob and Esau, and I think of what happened in their relationship because of their parents, Isaac and Rebekah, and what happened to them. In fact, I had a conversation yesterday because my twin brother called me and, and uh, was very upset that I didn't show up uh, today with him to go to Social Security because we're 62 today and he wants to apply for early Social Security. It will be the first really regular salary he's had in a long time other than the money I give him. And he's excited about it. Uh, on, the, on the phone I said, you're going to have to wait a bit before I can get over there. It's not a brief journey. And, and he said, well, you can apply at the same time. And I said, no, Terry, I, I will probably retire at maybe 70 75. I said, preachers never retire early. But I thought about that and I told him, I said, I am preaching on twins tomorrow, but my least favorite twins, Jacob and Esau, because I said they had so many problems. And you know what he said this to me? He said, brother, 
I love you, and you've always been there for me. I hope we never end up like that. And that is so true. Are y'all hearing this echo? Can you turn this, this off and let me use this? I feel like I'm on the Starship Enterprise. And I don't want to be beamed anywhere. I'm, I want to stay here. The, the, re, the reality is the choices we make make a difference. I've come to realize that when we are asked to analyze a character or someone and they say, well, what created that image, nature or nurture? I think you're leaving something out when you say that because behavior plays a huge role in that. And when I look at what happened in the life of this family, I see behavior as being at the center of everything because there, there's a, a husband and a wife wanting to perform what they believe is right, yet going in two opposite directions against one another. They both want to do what they believe is correct. No doubt Isaac wanted his eldest son to be the one gifted with the blessing and the birthright. But God had already told him that should not happen. And Rebecca, in resisting her husband, is deceitful. And she thinks that by deceit, she can perform the will of God. And I remind you of this, and I've heard this all of my life, that in life, when we make choices and decisions to go somewhere, we'd better be careful to understand that how we go there is as important as the destination. And in a family, God expects us to be honorable and decent for people who are watching. And they determine what Christianity is by our behavior. What's amazing, you can't push a button and, and, and do a do-over in life. You can't say, ignore the last six weeks, six months, or six years of my life, for they continue to watch. A family was attending a wedding one day, and, and their neighbor's son, Robert, was asked to be one of the ushers. Robert was a kid that loved to play sports, but he didn't do much else. In fact, they went mainly just to see him dressed in a tux, for they'd never seen Robert clean before. And they were pretty impressed when they saw him. Robert had taken instructions from an older usher before people arrived for the service. And he says, young man, as people approach you and they want a seat, ask them, you know, do you want to be seated on the groom's side or the bride's side? Now, somewhere in the instruction, something was lost in translation because the first lady that walked down there and, and wanted to be seated, he looked at her and he says, madam, which side are you on? Now, sometimes it appears that way in marriage. Which side are you on? And sometimes we have to be careful that we don't make things in that way. I talked to one of our precious church members yesterday, and she was struggling with the fact that her husband is moving towards the process of dying. And she said, why is this so painful? I understand what is going on. I, I, I fully understand that. And I had to say to her something that's really tough to say. I said, what is happening to you now is half of one person is dying. Because you and your husband are not two people, you're one person. You've been married all these years. And you're experiencing something that no one understands until they're there. 
And I said, yet God's grace will be there. I look at the stories of the patriarchs and I'm struggling to understand how they didn't get it. Because God had been guiding them for several generations. God had given them so much. But somehow in the midst of all of that, something was lost in translation with them. I want to think for a few minutes about how you correct that. But first I want to think about how you get to where they are at this time. And I begin by asking you a question. Is it possible for families to stay on the same team? God wants us to be on the same team. He wants us to work together. He wants us to be an example to the world. That's what it's all about, whether it's in good times or bad, whether it's in healthy times or coronavirus times. We're supposed to be examples to the world of what it means to walk in faith. Genesis 27 begins with these words, When Isaac was old, and his eyes were so weak that he could no longer see, he called his son Isaac, and he said, My son... He said, here am I. He said, I'm now an old man and don't know the day of my death. Now then, get your weapons, your quiver, and your bow. And he begins such an amazing discussion with him. Here's what I struggle with. How can, how can, can a man get so lost and embittered from God that he ignores what God told him before the children were even born? It's not an insult. It was not even an irony. It was truth from God. He said, the younger shall be served by the older. That's just the way it's going to be. God was not saying that He hated Esau at all. He was just saying, for my will to be done, this has to happen. And I don't, I don't know if Isaac was just frustrated or angry, if you look back at the life of Isaac, God, God had blessed him in many ways. Yet, these words weren't heard and they weren't followed. Isaac decides to bless his older son Esau in direct contradiction what, with what God had told his wife in Genesis 25. Has God ever told you something and you didn't want to listen? Has God ever given you a direction that was for your benefit and you refused to accept it? That's essentially where Isaac is at this place. You see, Esau had already married two pagan women, Judith and Basemoth, and neither one of them believed in the true and the living God. They had pagan practices. They were unfit to receive the blessing, for they had not come to a knowledge of the true and the living God. Yet Esau had not followed the directions of God either, and God knew that. And Isaac was determined to see his will over God's will. You see, Rebecca is doing something that's so bizarre, yet so common. There's so many Christians that think, well, if I can just do God's will and get it done this way, everything will okay, be okay. If I can just make my children do what I want them to do, they'll end up in the right place and everything will be fine. I can remember sitting in the, in the Fulton County Jail on Jefferson Street in Atlanta talking to an inmate 
many years ago who I'd been asked to see by an uncle. And he told me this. He said, the family's in turmoil. And this boy got caught up in the turmoil and he needs encouragement. And as I talked to him, I talked about the upcoming Mother's Day service that I would have at church. And I said, tell me about your mom. And he said this. He said, my mom has always received everything she's wanted in life, whatever it took to get it. And my father has been the victim of more tricks and dishonesty without ever leaving the house. And he says, I really don't know who to trust in life. He said, I don't want to be a father. I don't want to marry someone that would be a mother. He said, I just want to find a place that's normal. And he looked me in the eye, and you know what he said? Probably one of the most sad things I've ever heard. He said, and here in jail, I found it. You see, sometimes we can go to a, a horrible place in life. We begin with a good goal. I want to accomplish these things. And in the process of doing that, we lose touch with the fact that God is to guide us in every way. And Rebecca lost touch with that. She felt that if she could just perform the will of God, what He wanted, she would be in His favor and all would be well. The reality is, she along with her husband Isaac destroyed their family and the future of their family. I want you to also realize this. Defiance and deception can never lead to realignment and total restoration. It never can. There's nothing but pure manipulation here. She's resorted to something that's done all the time. Watch any soap opera. Turn on the television, any suspense show, and there will always be two strong personalities clashing with one another, attempting to accomplish their goals. Now, some people call that entertainment. It's a catastrophe in human life, and it destroys anything of value. You know, Genesis 27, 18 through 24 says that, that he went to his father and said, My father. And he asked him repeatedly who he was. I struggle with the fact that I see over a dozen lies told by Jacob to his father Isaac. A dozen. Over and over again, he so freely lies and just, just says what he wants to. Does it work? On the surface, it seemed to. He accomplished his short-term goal. Jacob receives Isaac's blessing, but at a terrible cost to the family. And the reality is it's not a blessing. It's a curse. It's a curse. I've heard it said that mankind manipulating the will of God can make even that which is holy unconsecrated and filthy. And until we learn to allow God to work in our lives, to direct us, to guide our footsteps, we will never find happiness and joy. A lot of voices command our attention, and we hear them over and over and over again. 
And the incongruence and the frustration of their logic will just absolutely destroy you. But the truth is, we're listening to the wrong voice. We must listen to the Holy Spirit of God. The more I hear communication in humanity, the more I realize that I'm listening to the wrong voice, that I need to listen to God. And I need to understand, as we all do, that when God speaks, His Word is final. He will give us the blessing if we'll walk his pathway. Isaac's fellowship with God was broken. But in the process of passing on a cultic or tribal tradition of the birthright of the blessing, he passed on nothing worthy of holding on to. He created one son that was overconfident in his sin and another son who was bitter and held a grudge, who walked away from the God of his parents into the arms of pagan people. It took him almost a lifetime to be reconciled with his own brother. And his own brother lived in fear. God wants us to have families that are happy and peaceful. Families that do great things together and work together. That's one of the toughest things to ever accomplish in life. 2741 of Genesis says, Esau held a grudge against Jacob because of the blessing his father had given him. And he said to himself, the days of mourning for my father are near. Then I will kill my brother Jacob. I remind you that the first murder happened directly in a worship service. As the sons of Adam came together to worship, they brought their offerings. But in the midst of that, when God looked at, at one brother and said, your heart isn't right, therefore your offering is not accepted, he didn't get upset with himself. He didn't get upset even with God for saying that. He got upset with his brother Abel, and he blamed him. Isn't that the way life goes sometimes? When people don't want to deal with the need for change in their life, they, they attack whomever is near for whatever reason. And the reality is here we see in the life of, of, of Esau a frustration and an angst that is beyond understanding that a wise father and mother should have sat down and explained to them. Does that mean that, that, that things would have been different for Esau? No. Esau was a free will, a free spirit. He, he could choose what he should do. Jacob in the same way. But the parents, rather than treating them with the respect that you would for an adult, manipulated them like they were little babies. And sometimes that continues on in families generation after generation. Their actions not only separated the children from one another, it separated Isaac and Rebecca from one another. 
Here they had walked together all these years. And their relationship was irretrievably broken. They had been married all those years and one was going in one direction and one in the other. At a time of crisis, as the husband was dying, there was no unity there. I've seen crises like death create the greatest, most impossible situations to have to deal with. And unfortunately, the preacher is always there. We have got to know that God looks at us in times of crisis and gives us the grace to do what we need to do. And going through this, this crisis we've been through with this pandemic, it's doubtless determined whether you're mature or whether you need to grow more. How you respond in a disaster determines what you're made of. It, it, this is a test. This is, this is not a horrible thing. You hide your head in the sand and, and then let it pass and forget about it. No, it's a time for us to determine what have we learned in life. Have we grown enough to understand that this is the time to reach out to one another and love one another? Or, or is it a time to judge people when they don't fit in, into your description of what a Christian should be during a time like this? Oh, dear friends, God has been with us through all of this. But have we been with God and His family through this? Lastly, I want you to think about this. The end doesn't justify the means in this situation. The means determines the end. They establish what kind of family they would be by this behavior. In fact, later on, and we, we will have a sermon discussing that, Jacob and Esau will get back together. And Jacob will pray the first sincere prayer of his life because he hears the hoofbeats of, of Esau's army coming toward him and he is preparing to die because he thinks they're coming to kill him. And he prays an honest, sincere prayer. No longer is he a trickster. Truth has come knocking at his door. As one preacher put it, some people don't see the light till they feel the heat. And that's the case with many people who pretend to be mature in the faith. Yet within they don't hold that. And only you know that. We all know how to behave at church. We all were brought to church. And as little children, our mother would sit us down and she would say, Now behave. Pay attention. Listen. Sing. Read your Bible. We know how to behave in church. We know what a Christian looks like. But do we know how a Christian behaves when they leave church? Do we understand that the example we give outside these doors is much more important than what we do inside these doors. The means determines the end. And truly, if we don't listen and understand that, we're in trouble. There's a book entitled I Surrender by Patrick Morley, and I love that book because it, it communicates in such an effective way the truth of where we are as Christians today. And listen to, to these words that he has in chapter 3. He's talking about the church's integrity problem. 
He said the problem is in the misconception that we can add Christ to our lives but not subtract sin. Think about that. We can add Christ to our lives but not subtract sin. He said it is a change in belief without a change in behavior. You see, getting to heaven is not believing all the right things. It's living them. And people are watching that. He goes on to say, it is revival without reformation. And he said, it is change without repentance that we see. You see, I can say this. Isaac and Rebekah and Jacob and Esau probably were with God more than most of us. They heard the voice of God. They saw the hand of God guiding them. Yet they had less change in their life than any human I've ever seen. And I think that that is one of the issues with us in life. I'm so glad to see all of you here. And, and I can't tell you, it, it's no fun preaching in an empty church. And we've done that for several weeks. There would be a handful of people here. And I was thankful for the audience. It's, it's hard to preach to an empty church. But I thought about this the other day when I was thinking about one of my dear brothers that usually the first person I see every Sunday morning, John Bennett. John is, is a park ranger. And I was reading a story the other day about that a park ranger wrote about Arizona's Grand Canyon National Park and about what was going on there some years ago. They had a problem there. They had about two dozen mule deer that died. And they began to investigate why they died. And what happened was this. The, the mule deer had become addicted to the food that tourists and visitors brought into the park. They especially liked crunchy Cheetos, by the way, if you ever go there. They didn't like the really hot Doritos, but they loved Cheetos. They loved candy bars. They loved potato chips. They'd drink Coke. Anything with sugar in it, they would take. The only problem is sugar and salt develop an addiction that's so extreme in mule deer that they can't break it. They quit foraging for what they should eat, and they eat this junk, and suddenly they begin to die out and die down. And the sad thing is their health gets so poor for these junk food cravings that the, they lose their natural abilities. As one of the rangers said, he said, junk food is the crack cocaine of the deer world. And somehow we've got to get them off of it before they all die. Now, in some ways that's humorous, but in other ways we realize because we get addicted to things like being right all the time or being in control all the time or having the last word or thinking we can control anybody. For God has called us only to be in control of one person, ourselves. And we're to allow the Spirit of God to guide us. Dear people, I, as we come back together, it is so good. But I want to remind you that through this time of, of this virus, as, as families have been together, I hope that you've come to a closer understanding of God's love for you and what He wants to do in your life. But also understand that a closer relationship with Him always begins with confession of sin. Always.
we have to clean out the vessel that he's using to share truth with the world. May we be prepared to do that. And may we understand that the road we choose determines our destination. Let us pray. Father, I thank you that you give to us words of encouragement and words of strength. And I pray right now that we would hear those words and be changed by them. For truly, many voices speak to us, but only one really matters. That's your voice. And may we be faithful. May we be true. And may we continue to hear you and you alone. Father, bless us now as we consider our way forward. For truly, we continue the walk. And may we be faithful in every way as we walk toward your kingdom. Father, give us an understanding of your will even now. And may our faithfulness grow as our trust expands. Lord, speak to anyone here who has a decision to make in their life, whether it's for salvation or consecration, coming closer to you, or church membership or baptism. Father, speak even now. Because truly, today is a great day to come closer to you as we've come together to worship in this place. For we pray this in your holy name, Lord. Amen.